and you will find Matthew uh, chapter 2. We're going back into the Christmas story as we have studied the last few weeks, the lives of people we're all familiar with, but looking at the crucial questions that they were willing uh, to answer courageously. Mary's question the first week, will I accept God's plan for my life or will I just do my own thing? Will I accept the destiny that God has for me? It's, it's a crucial question for you in 2012. Or the Joseph question, the question that all of us will ask, answer, uh, ask and answer at one point in our lives, will I trust God, will I obey him when life doesn't make sense? When life doesn't make sense to me, will I still do what God tells me to do? And then today's question, the question of the wise men, the most mysterious and probably the most fascinating people in the entire Christmas story, and their story is found in the second chapter of the book of Matthew. I hope that you guys will jump in with me, you'll be alert, you'll be awake, you'll actually grunt or moan or say amen once in a while, I'd appreciate it. Are you with me today? All right, let's go into the word of God. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Bethlehem means the house of bread. It's just interesting to note that the bread of life was born in the house of bread. Interesting. In Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, and behold, wise men, or magi, the original text says, magi, part philosopher, part astronomer, part scientist, very smart, wise men who came from the east. It could have been Persia. It could have been India. could have been as far as China. We don't really know, but the scripture says that they were wise. They were highly intelligent. They were educated, and they were very wealthy. And they came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. We've been navigating by it, is what they're saying, and we have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, note, the house, not the stable, not the manger. Again, you know, this is a couple years later, so they're no longer in the stable. I know your nativity set has Jesus and Mary and the animals and the manger and the shepherds and the wise men all together. It, don't throw it out. It's okay. It's good. It just didn't happen that way, okay? They went into the house. And they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. I want to talk to you today about what made the wise men wise. The choices you make in life will make you. There is no greater power than the power to choose. 
And the choices that you make will be determined by the integrity of the questions that you will ask yourself. How brave, how honest, how intellectually honest will you be in the questions that you wrestle with and you answer in your life? The big question is, is will your ego allow yourself to be asked some questions? We're afraid of looking inexperienced or appearing ignorant. We're afraid of what people will think. We posture that we must know all of the answers, and yet these highly intelligent, brilliant, wise men come before us in a story, posturing themselves as those who would seek and who would question and who would say, we want to learn. And so, what made them wise? Ego always gets in the way of growth. And so the question is not only what made them wise, but do I want to be wise? Do I want to be a wise man or a wise woman? Let's pray today. Now, dear Father, I pray that this word would be powerful. It would shape us. I pray that you would speak through me and you, and you would speak alone. I pray, Lord, that there would be uh, a change in the way that we think and that we would become doers of the word and not hearers only. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. They hated his guts. They spat when they said his name. They absolutely despised the king called Herod. He was not a real king. He was the appointed, the installed king of the occupying Romans. And they hated him for being a traitor to their race. Now, he knew that they hated him. And so as the years went on, he became more and more fearful, more and more paranoid, and more and more unstable. This was a man who would kill all of his children for fear that one day they would take his throne. He would be so unstable as to wipe out relatives, anyone close to him who might threaten his power. He was willing to do whatever it took because he would not be overthrown. So you can imagine the understatement of the text when it says that Herod was troubled when dignitaries, emissaries from the east would arrive in Jerusalem asking about where is the born king of the Jews. Threatened. Paranoid. That's the problem with paranoid, fearful people. You never know what they're going to do. Everybody walks on eggshells around them because they're so unstable and they're so touchy. And so Herod was so afraid And it says all of Jerusalem trembled with him. And the question they were asking was, what's he going to do? What is Herod going to say? What's going to happen? Herod called for a meeting and he pulled all of the leaders together, calculating, planning a strategy, wanting to know, tell me what the scriptures say. Where uh, will this Christ be born? He asked the question not to follow what the scriptures would say, or to even place himself in any way under subjection to the word of God, mind you. He asked the question so that he can do what he's going to do. It's an important question because so many people today, they have no intention of actually listening to what God would say or instruct or what light might God be bringing into their life. We use God, we use scripture, we use whatever we need to justify us in the way that we think and what we're going to do and our actions and our course is already set. He calls them together and they say, easy question, Bethlehem. We've known it for centuries. It's been prophesied for thousands of years that out of the house of David, the, 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 the city of bread, that's where 
the Messiah will come. He finally then brings the wise men in secretly to meet with him, saying, go to Bethlehem, find this Christ, and when you find him, send word to me so that I too may come and worship him. Right. He has no intention of worshiping God or following what God would want or doing anything of the kind. His heart is set on murder. In fact, he's not only going to murder the newborn king, he's going to probably kill these men as well. It wouldn't have surprised anyone that he was completely outraged that foreigners would be in his city asking for who is the born king of the Jews. Now, this is incredible to me where we just pause and I ask you to think with me. Think of the irony that Jerusalem is the spiritual center of the world, even at this time. It is today. All the major religions of the world have their thinkers and their scholars and their leaders in the city of Jerusalem, and they did at this day as well. Here they are in the center, the epicenter of spirituality for the world, and they've known for centuries that the Christ, when he comes, will come to Bethlehem, a mere six miles from the center of Jerusalem. Bethlehem is a stone's throw away, and on that first Christmas, they all missed it. They all missed it. Herod missed the first Christmas, and all the religious leaders, the scholars, they knew the word, and they knew exactly where to find him, but they were not looking for him. All the business leaders missed it. Everybody missed the first Christmas except for a handful of people. Just Mary, just Joseph, a few shepherds, a prophet named Simeon, a prophet named Anna, and a couple of years later, some outsiders who have come a long distance through a scorching desert, desperate to find what they're looking for, which goes to the entire point of the story that you can be searching uh, you, can have, you can be in the midst of Jesus. You can have Jesus right around you, and you can totally miss him if you're not seeking for him. That was worth an amen right there. You can know all about the Bible. You can have been raised in it. You can know all about God. You can have all of the answers and all of the facts and completely miss God and be spiritually dead and completely unaware to the activity of God right under your nose if you're not seeking God if you're not looking for him, if you're not searching for him. God would use outsiders to make the point to say that there are people in this world, the wise ones in the world, I don't care if they're far away, if they're the, the ones who are on the outside, if they come with a seeking heart, they will be found by me. And so what can we learn from these wise men? What made the wise men wise? Let me give you the first one. These guys were seekers of the truth. They sought after truth. They were hungry for truth. What's the purpose of life? Where, what is life all about? Who is God? How can I know him? What is the meaning of my past? What is the direction of my future? What is truth? And how can I know it? These guys were seekers of truth. Now in this story, there begs a very obvious question. There's really two kinds of people to which the world can be separated. There's the seekers and there are the speculators. And which one are you? Are you a speculator or are you a seeker? Speculators love to talk. Speculators love to give their opinions. They love to say, well, I'd like to think that God is this. And I'd like to think that this is what's true about God. And I think this, and I've always thought, well, you know, does that make any sense at all? Who cares what you think, you know, about what God is like or what you'd like to think God is like. What you think about God may be comfortable for you, but the real question is, what is God really like? What is the truth? 
And are you willing to search for him and to look for him and say, I want to find him and know who he is. I want to, I want to have him, if he's real, speak to me. And I'll adapt my life to him if I can find him. That's the difference between a seeker and a speculator, because speculators love to debate, they love to talk, they love to share their opinions, but they have absolutely no desire to humble themselves before the one that they would say that they're looking for. You see, God tells us all kinds of things. Oh, I'll follow God, I believe in God, I trust God, which is great as long as God is telling us stuff we want to do. But what if he comes with a different question? Will our ego be able to handle it? And are you a speculator or are you just a seeker? I love these guys because these wise men came and we can learn from them what they did. They asked questions. It's what all wise people do. They ask questions. They're open to learning. They're open to learning what they don't know. They're, they're able to say, I don't understand this, but I need to know what it is. They're not afraid to go public and ask the questions in front of other people. Although they're wise, they're saying, I need to know where this king is. Do you know where we could find him? They're not afraid to show some ignorance. I think the greatest ignorance is not even asking the question. They're willing to ask. They're willing to study. Somebody had brought the word of God to the east, wherever they came from, and they had got it into their hands, and they had studied it for years. Studied it so much that they knew that there was a Christ that would come into the world at some point. They also knew the times that they lived. They were educated. They studied. They were aware of the, of the days and the signs. And when that star appeared, they were able to make the correlation between this is the time and this is what God's word has said, and we are going to go and find this God. No matter what the cost, at great expense, at the risk of our lives, we leave family and friends to go and find this Christ that's coming into the world. They were seekers. And I want to tell you, God loves seekers. God loves you if you're a seeker. If you feel that you're far from God, you've got a lot of doubts, you've got some questions, you haven't, you're not sure really if you believe that, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's real. You're not sure about the Bible. You've got doubts. You, you used to follow when you were a little kid, but you've grown up and you've detoured and life's not working so great, and the pain has brought you to start searching again, but you don't know exactly what to believe. Let me tell you, God loves you, and God loves seekers. And that's what this church is all about from day one. We've been a place from the day we started that says this is going to be a place where if you have doubts, if you have questions, I mean, if you're intellectually honest, if you're willing to absolutely say, I don't know What's true, but I'm looking for God. I'm willing to put aside my preconceptions and my prejudices, and I'm willing just to be open, and I'm ready to listen. I don't know if I buy it all yet, but I want to be here. This is the church for you, and this is the people that we are. And I want to say that's good for all of us, because when was the last time you said, uh, God, I, there is a whole bunch I don't know? Or are you one of those people who has got all figured out, and you've known him for years, and there's not one more thing you can learn. I wonder if you're still a seeker. Being a seeker is a good thing. It's a great thing. Let me give you a second reason why they were wise. They came for the right reason. The scripture says that they saw the star in the east, and then they came to worship him. They didn't come with their own agenda. They didn't make this some sort of an intellectual project. This wasn't something they were just going to, hmm, I'm interested and let's just see. No, they came with a heart condition that said, if we find him, I am bowing my knee before him. 
I'm willing to humble myself. If we find God, I'm willing to humble myself before him. That attitude makes all of the difference because today there's all kinds of people using Jesus' name. They want to use him, but they don't want to love him. They want to use him uh, to sell, to promote their business. Marketers want to use Jesus' name to sell their products. Militaries want to use his name to start their wars. Uh, People want to use him to get what they need. All the prayers are, God, give me this and bless this and I need you for this. But how many people don't want to use God but actually just want to love him and humble themselves before him? That's what made them wise. Because they were willing to say, the power that's bigger than me, I bow before, and he can guide me through this life. That's why they were wise. Let me give you a third reason. Not only did, did they, were they seekers, they, brought their, um, you know, they, they came to worship him, but they brought their very best. They brought their best to him. They didn't give leftovers. They didn't just casually come unprepared. No last-minute thoughtful gift card for these guys. No re-gifting. This is not second-hand frankincense. <laughs> they brought their best. They opened their treasures to him. They brought their best. Let's take a look at what they brought. They brought gold. Of all of antiquity, the, the gift of tribute to a king. If you're going to go before a king, you bring a gift of gold. They're bringing gold because they recognize we have found the king of kings. They bring gold to a king. They bring frankincense. What's frankincense? It's the, it's the incense exclusively used in the worship of God in the temple. Nowhere else is it used. And so they're bringing this gift of frankincense to say he's not only the king, but he is God. He is the Lord, and we worship him as we bow before him. They give frankincense. But I think it's the third gift that is the most strange of all. It's bizarre. If any woman were to receive this gift at a baby shower, they would be shocked. Because you know what myrrh is? Myrrh was the spice that was used in the embalming of a dead body. That's what myrrh was for. And so these guys are smart. They're wise. They're, they're intelligent. They they've just come from Herod. They've seen through his thinly veiled uh, scheme to worship the, the newborn king. And they have found the king of the Jews. They found the king of kings. They have found this is, this is God in human form. And then they say, this baby's going to die. This baby's going to die. I don't know if they were wise enough. Maybe they were wise enough to understand the scriptures that pointed that one day a savior would come and give his life as the atonement lamb and satisfy the, the, the requirements for sin for all people. I don't know if they knew that, that Jesus would one day die for your sins and mine and for their sins. I don't know if they knew that, but one thing is clear. They looked at that little baby and they said, this baby's gonna die. And they gave his mother a gift of myrrh, which is really touching if you think about it. Maybe the most appropriate gift after all. He is the king and he is God. And he's the savior of the world who will die for our sins. So what can we learn about what to give to Jesus from these men? What do you give a God who has everything? Well, actually, he doesn't have everything. There are four things that you can give to him at Christmas that God does not have unless you give them to him. And the first one is this, that you will give him your trust. You can't have that taken from you. No one can make you do it. It cannot be forced. You can give him your trust. 
Let me put it another way. What are you expecting God to do in your life in 2012? Do you believe that God is going to grow your faith, that you're going to become greater, that you're going to see God use you in in mighty ways, that in your life you still have purpose and that you're here for a reason and this next year is going to be the greatest year in your life? Do you have the faith to believe that if I align myself with God, that he is going to lead me to my greatest years? Or are you believing very little? Do you have very little faith? Now again, the scriptures we've been learning over and over have been, according to your faith, it will be done to you. What you expect is what's going to happen. So are you willing to trust God with your life? Or are you going to hold back? Are you going to be afraid? Will you trust him? I love this very powerful verse in Psalm chapter 50, verse 17, where it says this. Make thankfulness your sacrifice to God and keep the vows that you have made to him. In other words, go ahead and be thankful when things, you don't feel like it. Go ahead and be grateful and say, sing your praises to God in spite of how you feel. And when life doesn't make sense, you just do the next right thing. You keep the vows that you've made and you keep honoring your word and you do what's right. If you do this, then I will rescue you from your troubles and you will give me the glory. And you say, why would God let me go through things that I don't understand? And why would I go through problems and circumstances I can't figure out. Why did I go through this problem? Why am I headed into this problem? Because God says, I want to show myself strong in your life. I want you to trust me. If you, if you praise me, if you do what's right, I will rescue you and you'll give me the glory. And you'll become the man and woman of God that you were meant to be. You can give him your trust. The second thing you can give him You can give him first place in your life. It's so hard to do. I must have done this a thousand times. God, you're in first place, and then I I get diverted to something else. How easy it is for all the other things in our life to creep in and take that place of centrality, whether it's our job or our career or your spouse or, or your children or maybe the God of what other people think, and that's what really controls you from day to day. Or, you know, what's their impression of me, and I've got to please everybody. It's so easy for all these other little gods to come in and take first place. But the, but the simple truth is, to the degree that we can come back and say, God, you are in first place in my life. Nothing else will occupy that place of priority. That's a gift that you can give to God, and he'll bless you for it. And what we've been learning from the very first day of 2011 was this incredible verse. You know it now by heart. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his plan and his priority for you and for your life. Seek first his plan for your life and his righteousness, which is seek what he wants to do in your character. God, you can, you, I'll, I'll, whatever your plan is and whatever you want to do in me, I say yes to that, and that's the most important thing. And then he says, and everything will be done for you. It will all work out. I'll bless you with everything that you need. Isn't there a theme that's going along here? Trust me from the bottom of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he's going to make your path straight. You can give him first place in your life. You can give him the gift, number three, of an open heart. You see, only you can open your heart or close your heart. You have the power to make that choice. Only you can open up your heart to God. And will you live this life an open person, a generous person, a person that's open to whatever God wants, or will you be a closed person? So I love this verse in Psalm 37, 
where it says, open up before God and keep nothing back. Open up your heart to God. Nothing held back. And he'll do what needs to be done. God, I'm totally open to you. You see everything. You know everything. And it's, I'm all yours. All of me. And God says, all right, then I promise to do what needs to be done in your life. That's how simple it is. Your heart is what you value. Your heart is tied up with the things that cost you something. The things that are important to you. And that's why Jesus would say that wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also. And so that makes so much sense when these wise men came and they opened their treasure. How could they do that? Because God already had their hearts. He had it long ago. Long before they ever set out, they had decided that we are on a mission. We're on a journey to seek God. And we'll do whatever it takes to find him. And when they found him, what they did was just an expression of the heart that they already had. I don't need to tell you again, but I'll tell you for the 58th time this year that God doesn't need your money. God does not need anything that you have. This church doesn't need anything that you have. It doesn't, we don't need it. God doesn't need it. You, you were given a life of about 80 years if you're lucky, maybe a few more. And you didn't have anything, you came into this world with nothing, and you'll go out of the world with nothing. And God puts everything that you have on loan to you. So he doesn't really need anything from you. It's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. God's just put it in your hands. And so that's why the prophet Hosea, in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, would say, I don't even want your offerings. I just want you to know me. I don't want your sacrifices. I just want you to love me. I want you to know me. I want your love. I want your heart. And you have the ability to open your heart before God or close your heart. And Lurie and I have found over these years that the more that we open up our heart to God, the more he has priority in everything. The more our heart is with him and not with ourselves. For wherever your treasure is, your heart is also. So we've been in this season of generosity and we decided that we were going to give a thousand boxes of food, 20 tons of food to our community. I hope I'm saying that with integrity. I know a thousand boxes were taken from here. If it's still in your garage, get rid of it, fill it up and take it somewhere, okay? But, but, but the idea was, and we've given away hundreds of them now, but you know, the idea was is we would give all of this out and your stories and your letters have been coming back to me. And I wanna read a couple letters that illustrate the heart of a person who gets it. Listen to this. We sat down with our children ages nine to 19 to set a goal for how many boxes we would take responsibility for. The dad is the volunteer chaplain for the Lawrence Police and Fire Department. And he says, I challenged my children that they needed to be financially involved along with me and my wife and to ask God by faith what the dollar figure should be that we would take responsibility for. We also prayed asking God to give us a good response from the police and fire department and committed to the fact that no matter what, we wouldn't return any box unfilled. This family, at the conclusion of the prayer, committed to 50 boxes. He goes on to say, within minutes of putting out the first message, the boxes began to be spoken for. Every box was spoken for. And as they started coming back, it was great to hear how much everyone enjoyed filling a box. Most of the folks went overboard with extras, which was, of course, awesome. It was an exciting success, and we're looking forward to the next opportunity. According to your faith, it will be done to you. Let me read you another one. I am an independent sales consultant. I didn't have a very successful month. I only earned $60. And during the service, I felt God speaking to me to give all that I had earned. Are you kidding me? 
I need that for groceries, I said to God, and a war began for the entire service. Yes, everything came back God's voice, and I finally surrendered to him and put it in the offering. On Tuesday, the following Tuesday, I received a greeting card from someone at Heartland simply signed to bless your family. Inside was a Walmart gift card. I had no idea what was on the card, but went to the Walmart cashier quietly praying that there would be at least $60 on the card to buy food for the week. When the cashier gave me my receipt, I looked to see what was left, and the original balance on the card was $300. There was more than enough left over, and I cried in the middle of Walmart. Not only did I have grocery money, I could now buy my children a few Christmas presents, and we still had enough left over to pay forward my blessing and fill a love indie box with more than the items on the list. I wish I knew who gave me that card because I want them to know that there are blessings, that their blessings reached more than just one family. Thank you for loving us. That's powerful. That's the heart. And when you see it, you recognize it. You look at that and you go, that's, that's what it's all about. That's what a heart that is seeking after God is supposed to look like. So let that blow your whole little stereotype or whatever has caught you back. That's what it's all about. God is after your heart. That's what I've been trying to tell you. You can be a a slave to the God of your money or you can give God an open heart. And the joy that will come as you let God bless others and bless his kingdom through you. It's indescribable. You know, we're one of the greatest giving churches in America. I can say that with honesty. I know a lot of pastors. I know a lot of churches. And this is one of the most generous churches in America, period. And what you do is incredible. It's just an awesome thing to witness. And there are some of you, though, still, as your pastor, I can tell you that you've not yet had a breakthrough in this area of your life. And some of you, you had a breakthrough a few years ago, but because of the economy or the situation has changed, it's scared you and you've pulled back. And I understand that. I get that. We all worry about the future. My wife and I have a practice that we don't um, tell each other what we're going to give when we come to an offering like we did today. We, we pray about it separately, and then just before, we'll come together and we'll say, this is what I think God is saying to me. So I had prayed, and I had come up with this number, and I felt sure I would blow her out of the water. And we got together at 11 o'clock yesterday, and she blew me out of the water. And she, her number was double what mine was. And as I thought, sat and I listened to her, and she said to me, Darren, we always give by faith. And what's true is I had given a number that I knew I could do and was safe for us. And here's my wife challenging me to, we are people who give by faith. And uh, so we gave a gift that costs. But we, we come today with such incredible joy. This has been, for me, one of the greatest services in the last year for me. Because of that sense of, God, we're doing what you ask. And we're responding to you. If you didn't come prepared today, if you've been wrestling, if you've been struggling with this whole thing, 
Listen, I get it. I understand. Just keep praying. Keep saying, God, just talk to me. Speak to my heart. And I'm open. I'm a true, be a true seeker. I dare you to be a real seeker of God. And let him speak to you. And then be willing to say, God, I'll worship you with whatever you say to me. I'll, I'll obey you. You, don't, you didn't miss anything. You can give online lots of days before the end of the year. You can do what God says to you to do. Let me give you the last one, the gift that you can do that, that nobody else can do, that Jesus doesn't have unless you do it. That is you bring people to him. You bring someone to him. You lead somebody to him. You invest in somebody's life, and then you invite, and you bring them to the Lord. The verse you know so well, for God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only son, that's Jesus, that whoever would believe in him, that's the whole world, would not perish, that's the greatest news, but would have everlasting life, that's the greatest gift. And so... uh, we want to give that gift to people. This is so important to Jesus that at one time he said to his, to his followers, and he would say this to you today, go out into the highways, go out into the countryside and urge them, compel them, do whatever it takes to invite them to come in that my house may be full. That's the purpose of the house of God. That's the purpose of this house. We have five opportunities this Christmas to fill the house of God. And I'm inviting you, and I'm, I'm, I'm urging you, don't be selfish. Share, invite, bring someone to Jesus. Because the message of Christ and his birth, his virgin birth, his, his purpose, the meaning for his, for his life and for his resurrection will be presented. And every year, people make decisions to Christ. And maybe the question that I would leave you with today is this, who will be in heaven because of you? Who will be in heaven because of you? Who will... Who will you invite? I'm not asking you to be an apologist, to win them over, to uh, convince anybody of anything. I'm just asking you to invite somebody to a Christmas service. Because even atheists will go to a Christmas service. And people of other religions will go to a Christmas service. Everybody will go to a Christmas service. So let God use you. Let the Lord use you. And will you bring him a gift on his birthday this Christmas? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? How will you respond? I've given you a lot of questions today. I hope you say, yes, God, I hear you. I'm a seeker. I'll do whatever you say. Is that what you want today? Is that what you receive? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there's someone in this room today that would be intellectually honest, perhaps, and say, I am not where I should be with God. I'm far from God. I have been trying to live my own life. I've bumped into the walls of all of my consequences. And I've not even kept my own standards, let alone that of God's. And you admit that today, honestly. And you say, I want to know Christ. I don't understand it all, but I want him to forgive me. Say, say that, God, please forgive me. Forgive all of my sins. And today, Lord, I want to start following you. I want to turn my life around and turn it to you. I want to accept your gift of forgiveness, and I want to say yes to you the rest of my life. No matter who you are, if you pray that prayer and you mean it, God will meet you right where you are today. And for the rest of us, your question, your prayer is this. Lord God, I give you my whole life. I give you everything. 
I want to ask you to keep teaching me. I don't want to be hard. I don't want to be a know-it-all. I don't want to have it all figured out. I want you to stretch me and grow me. And I want to say yes to you for the rest of my life. Use me for your kingdom and do your work in my character and I'll trust you for everything else. Say, yes, God, that's me. Father, touch every life who prayed that prayer in a powerful way today. In Jesus' name, amen.